So we're going to do a short sermon series that we're starting today called Vision and Values, Becoming the Church that God Wants Us to Be. Once a year, um, we started this last year, we're going to do this sermon series really to fine-tune our life and our mission as a church. Um, there's four values that we hold on to as a church. The gospel, family, restoration, and stewardship. We want those values to shape everything we are and who we are because we're a church that has a mission. And as a church, you have to have a mission because Jesus' mission was not just to gather a people, even though we love gathering. It's a wonderful thing to get together and gather. But many times what the mission can become is just a mission to gather on Sundays. That becomes the mission. Like I am all out on the mission of God if I can show up at 10 on Sundays. And listen, we want you to show up at 10 on Sundays and worship. That's part of the mission. But that's really the time where we're refreshed in the gospel to go out on mission, to see people restored by the gospel, to make disciples. And what happens is with the church, if we forget the mission, if we think the mission is something else, then we die. It might even look like we're alive, but we become a corpse. And so what we need to do is keep that which is most important, most important. And that is the value we're talking about today, which is the gospel. Now, I'm sure many of you have been in churches, and I'll talk about this later on, where you start out in seasons of wonderful intentions. Just seasons of wonderful intentions. Before you know it, you see something go wrong. And I would argue that 90% of that time is because something else became central other than the gospel. And that causes the church to die. Now, we're in a wonderful season as a church. God's doing wonderful things. He's growing us. He's moving. People are being baptized. People are growing Christ. We have more small Like God is doing wonderful things. But it's important for us to always be fine-tuning the mission and remember and why we are a church family, and that we're a church family on mission. So we contextualize that by saying, what did Jesus say before his ascension? He said, go and preach the gospel. What's the gospel? That I am the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior, who died for the sins of the world, who was buried for three days, and who rose again. That's the good news, that whoever believes in that receives forgiveness of sin, sins and will have eternal life. He says, preach that. If anyone believes that message and wants to follow me, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He says, and teach them all my teachings. Teach them to grow in me. Teach them everything I've taught you. To teach them to grow in holiness and love and gentleness and kindness and all those types of things. So we are called... A contextual way to make disciples is what we say, see people restored by the gospel. Because only the gospel can fully restore every aspect of our life. It restores our relationship with God. It restores our relationship with each other. Now we can freely forgive each other and be in community with each other. It restores our relationship with ourselves psychologically. No more does guilt and shame have power over us. We are restored psychologically because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it restores us to our world because now we live on mission and purpose. So what we're talking about today in the next four weeks is fine-tuning the mission. So 
For those of you who don't know, I just took up archery like a few months ago. And so I'm in the backyard like Robin Hood, shooting at a target in Wakefield, just shooting, just shooting, making sure cars aren't passing. You don't want to hit the cars, and you shoot. So my friend Micah, who goes here, he's here today, he says, come over, we want to tune your bow and your arrows. I have no idea what that means. What does that mean? I don't know. I said, I'll be there, let's do it. We spent some time, and then we went to his garage, and um, we began a process, a very complex process, because you think when you just have a bow and arrow, you just pick the thing up and hit a target, right? Everything's fine-tuned, just fire the thing, bullseye, bullseye, bullseye. It's not like that. You constantly, and I'm still learning, I'm talking as an amateur here, please show me grace. But you have to fine-tune the arrow, you have to fine-tune the bow, you have to figure out the weight and the grain and the spine, and you have to figure out the, your length and your weight and all these things. And we're shooting, he just gave me an array of arrows, all different grains that I'm shooting without, I guess you'd understand as the feathers on them. And I'm shooting them without them, and they're turning different ways. One's going this way, one's going that way, one's standing up. The goal is to get the weight in the grain you want so you can shoot that arrow right. Once you know that, then you have to cut the arrow to your size and your weight to make a custom arrow. Then you have to figure out the weight of the arrowhead and what kind of arrowhead you like. And now you have to work all with who you are, the length, the weight, the grain, to customize because your goal is to hit the, hit the target. And you have to fine-tune that whole bow. He had so many tools, I lost track. The bow, the tracker, the cutter, this uh, and that uh. <laughs> and before you know it, he showed up on Thursday night at our, our group with the perfect fine-tuned arrow. What's the goal of that arrow and that bow? To hit the target. And when you have a fine-tuned arrow and a fine-tuned bow, and the heart of the person behind that bow and arrow is to hit the target, you will hit it. You will hit it. A church constantly has to fine-tune its mission. Or we will show up and shoot over the tower, around the tower. We'll shoot people who are next to the arrow. You've seen that in church, right? Shooting people. <laughs> you have to constantly stay on mission. You have to constantly say, why are we doing this? Because it's not to get up on Sunday morning, because that's hard sometimes, right? Got to fulfill the mission. No, that's part of it. That's glorious. We get to worship Jesus. We make much of Jesus. We have communion. We worship. We're honored to come on Sunday. But it's to fuel us. Sunday is to fuel us. So every day of our life, we are disciple makers. We're praying to Jesus, how can I share the gospel with my coworker today? What family member are you, Holy Spirit, calling me to pray for today that I need to give a call to? Who's next to me on the bus stop or the T or someone who God has sovereignly put in my path that wants me to say, what are your thoughts on God? Can I tell you mine? We are ambassadors and messengers of the gospel, giving a message of restoration. And my prayer and my hope and the way we keep this ship on track is we keep Jesus' mission as our mission. Amen? To make disciples and make Jesus our ultimate treasure. He needs to be central. Because with the gospel of grace, we're talking about our greatest value today. The scripture says, this is of greatest importance, the gospel, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that Christ was buried according to the scriptures, that Christ rose again according to the scriptures. He said, this is of most importance. And we have to keep this central to see people restored by the gospel and continue to see us bear fruit for good works. 
So if you would turn with me or just look up at the screen, we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10. Um, we're talking about the gospel of grace today. So I want you to see grace written throughout this. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions, passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the measurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. I just need to shut off this speaker, guys. It's my wife's fault this time. So we see that text right there, and I want us to see the gospel of grace. So what is grace? Grace is God's unmerited favor towards man. Right away you see that we don't get what we deserve. We get the gift of God's salvation. We get what we don't deserve. A life following Jesus is a life of getting what we don't deserve in the best possible way. We don't deserve God's favor. We don't deserve God's forgiveness. We don't deserve all the good blessings that God pours out on our life. But because of the work of Jesus, we get them every, anyway. It's a wonderful Wonderful thing. You know, when you hear people say that person saved or that person saved, it's a funny word, isn't it? Walk into a crowd that never heard the gospel and say, I'm saved up in here. Say, we saved from what? What is he talking about? So important in this text is to understand what we are saved from. So important. This text lays it out, which shows us the grace of the gospel. If you were listening intently or reading intently to those words, you would have heard this. We were saved from following the course of this world. We were saved from following the course of this world. Now, what is worldliness? How does the, the Bible describe that, what we were saved from this course? It says, first, at one point, we, our passions, our impulsivities, our fleshly desires determined everything we did. Everything we did. We were slaves to sin. We were caged by our carnality. But Jesus says, I reached down and I pulled you out of the impulsivity and carnality. And I put you on a new course that you don't live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Amen. 
he saved us. Another definition of worldliness is the desire of the eyes that we need everything material. That's shiny, I need it. That's comfortable, I need it. That's awesome, they have it, I want it. No longer are we slaves to the pride and possessions, the Bible says it. A pride and possessions. I need this, I need that. I'm going to give my whole life to get it. I'm going to live for that which is passing away. I'm saved from that mentality. We are saved from that mentality. We don't have to live, and what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? We don't have to live for that which is passing away, that which is material, that which is shiny, that which is a toy. We don't have to. We can live for that which is forever, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're saved from that mentality. That does not own us. Possessions do not own us anymore. Another way worldliness is described is the pride of life. I think they call it, I haven't heard it in a while, YOLO. You know when someone's just like, you only live once, do it, man. Do it. You know what Paul had to say about that mentality? He said, yeah, if Jesus didn't rise from the, rise from the dead, eat, drink, and be merry and live for yourself. But since Jesus rose from the dead, I'm not living for this life. I'm living for the next. No YOLO. YOLO makes you cling. That's the pride of life. You only live once. I'm going to do it because I got to do it. No, I'm going to sacrifice that so I can serve others for the glory in the name of Jesus. The pride of this life is passing away and we all will take our last. And the only thing we will regret is that we didn't give more for Jesus. That's the only thing. So we're saved from following the course of the world. I don't have to live in the pride of possession. I don't have to live like YOLO, the pride of life. I don't have to live according to carnality. I can give everything for Jesus because like we just saying, he's worth it all. He's worth it all. The second thing, what God saves us from, following the path of Satan. Now, I don't want to hyper-spiritualize that. When, when the scriptures say you follow the path of Satan, it's saying you make yourself your own God, you define what is good and evil, and you ultimately say to God, not your will be done, my will be done. That is the path of Satan. What did he tempt Adam and Eve with? You can be God. You decide what's right and wrong for your own life. You don't surrender yourself to the words of the Holy Spirit. I'm saved from that mentality because I know Jesus is the most loving person in all of existence and I can surrender myself to his word. I'm saved from the mentality that I need to define right and wrong. I can trust the Holy Spirit and the Holy Scriptures and live according to God's will. Amen. We're saved from that. We don't have to rebel against God anymore. We don't have to fight his truth and fight his love and fight his wisdom. We're saved by grace. So that we can surrender ourselves and put ourselves, take ourselves off the throne and put Christ on the throne and bow down. What a gift it is to bow down to Christ, amen? The Holy Spirit allows us to say, I bow down to you, Jesus. No more am I the king. My greatest privilege is that I get to honor you. I'm saved from a life where I'm the king or I'm the queen. I'm but a servant and it's the best thing that ever happened. Saved from that mentality. The third thing was saved from God's wrath. 
We talked about that on Good Friday, right? That we deserve punishment. But instead of being objects of God's wrath now, we're objects of his affection and his grace. It's an amazing thing. You are an object. We are an object. We're saved from being children of wrath, like that text just said, objects of wrath, to being vessels of grace, an object of God the Father's love. That's grace. You are children of the light now, taken out of darkness, saved from the darkness and brought into the glorious light of Christ. We have been chosen by God's grace to show off his grace as objects of his grace for all eternity. This is the gospel of grace. This is central to all we do at Restoration Row. This is central to all we do at Restoration Row. Who was glorified in that short presentation of the gospel of grace? Did you come out of it saying how awesome you were? Man, I was awesome. I need the pastor to tell me that. I said, wow, Jesus did that. God saved me from that. That's who I was, but he, he saved me. He rescued me. He reached down. He went in. Even when I was lost, he made me found. When I was in the darkness, he brought me into the light. When I was dead, he made me alive. That's all Jesus. That's all Jesus. That's the gospel. And the reason we have the gospel of grace at the center is because it makes Jesus everything and exalted at all times. No one can compare, and no one is his rival. No one is his rival. So let's talk about a little bit more why the gospel of grace is so important to us as a church. I was, this week, I was getting my cleaning at the dentist. Everyone love their cleaning? That's a great time. Let's sit there while someone puts power tools in my mouth for the next 45 minutes. That's awesome. But as I was sitting and waiting for my appointment, um, I just really felt the Holy Spirit say, I want you to talk to your dental hygienist about, I want you to have a gospel conversation. I said, okay, Father. I said, if you will open up an opportunity, I'll share the gospel. It's a little awkward with the power tool, you know, Jesus. You know, I said, it gets, gets odd. But she began to clean my teeth, and we're waiting, we're talking. And an opportunity presented itself, and I just asked a simple opening question, did, did you go to church growing up? Because we got to Easter. She was asking about Easter. And I saw, that, like, the whole atmosphere of the room change. She had her back to me a little bit, looking at the computer, getting everything set, looking at my teeth. And I saw her shoulders kind of and she said, you could maybe call it a church. I said, here we go. I said, there's a reason God's opening this up because he's trying to reach her. God is always trying to reach people around you. And you're an instrument of his gospel of grace. And I said, oh. And she said, uh, I grew up as a Jehovah Witness. And she said, it's a cult. And the truth is, because I don't have a whole message to preach, it is a cult. Okay? That doesn't mean there's good and loving people in that group. But it's a cult. And let me tell you why it's a cult. It's a cult because it diminishes the glory of Jesus and says he's not the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, rather a created being, God's first created being. So it takes away from the glory of Jesus. Anything that puts Christ on it that takes away from the glory and divinity of Jesus is a cult, okay? Secondly, a thing to mark a cult is it tells you that if you do enough, you can earn your own salvation. You know why they knock on your door at 8 o'clock in the morning? 
they're getting into heaven on your doorknob. <laughs> knock, knock, knock. I'm earning my salvation. Knock, knock, knock. Just a few doors to go. That's like a song I just made up. That was like, what the? But that's what they're taught. They're taught the more doors you knock on, you can earn your salvation. And I'm given a rough, a rough idea. But salvation by merit is taught. In Jesus, it diminishes his glory. Okay? And she said it was a cult because she was in it. And she said it destroyed her faith in any God at all. Okay? The reason I share that story and our conversations will continue and I talked to her and I said, I understand your pain. I understand that. The reason I want to share that is, do you know why that, just use that example, you know why that church was a cult and why it died? Because it didn't put Jesus where he was supposed to be. And when you take any glory away from Jesus, you're a dead man walking. He will not share his glory with anyone. He has no rival. All we do is pronounce the power and majesty of his name. That's who he is. That's who we are. The most glorious thing you do is can tell how wonderful and glorious Jesus is because that is who he is. That is who he is. Now, I've wrestled with this idea, to be honest with you that God made us for his glory. That's a tough idea too. In my narcissistic world, that messes me up. You mean God didn't create this all for me? He didn't need someone to love? You mean the universe doesn't revolve around us anymore? No, it doesn't. And that's the best news you could ever hear. Have you seen your world when it revolves around you? It's a living hell. It is a living hell to have your world revolve around you. I'm preaching heavier since we bought this building. I don't know what happened. It's getting heavy up in here. <laughs> but I want you to see the glory of Jesus because I wrestled so much. I tell a story all the time. I'm going through Romans 9, if anyone knows that journey. Natalie's, it was back when Lost was a big hit, that series Lost. So Natalie's trying to figure out Lost, like it's coming to the last episode. She's trying to watch him on the couch, and I'm walking back and forth with the systematic theology, like I can't believe in that. I cannot believe it. I think the scriptures say that we were made for his glory. It is all about his glory. Because I was actually taught that the world was created because God needed someone to love when I grew up. People with good intentions, but I was really taught that. That puts me on a pedestal that I can't last on, and we can't last on. Right, But I was reading through, I, I, through my journey and finally coming to grips with that. I saw the glory in that. And something Michael Reeves wrote in this book called The Light and the Trinity really helped me with this. God receives his greatest glory when he's rescuing us. God is most glorified when he's saving us. When you look at the cross, it's God's most, one of God's most glorious moments, right? Because he saved us. We worship him because he saved us. We give him glory because he saved us. You can't separate God's glory and our salvation. Right? What does that tell you? If God is most glorified in rescuing us, what does that cause us to want? We want God to be motivated by his own glory. Because his glory is in rescuing us. And I'm trying to keep this in simple terms here. You could read book upon book upon book on book and wrestle with it. But I realize you can't separate that. And I want 
we want God to be motivated by his own glory because his most glorious moments and his most um, glorious expressions are in saving us. Now, some people might say, Joey, of course the main thing is it's about Jesus in the church. Do we really need a message that says the most valuable thing in this church is Jesus? We're a Christian church. He's on the stained glass windows. The cross is above the baptismal. Listen, and I say this a lot, just because a bottle has a label on it doesn't mean someone hasn't put gasoline in it. And that's why Jesus was saying to all the religious leaders, you've got a label on you, the way you dress, the way you pray, what you wear, it looks like you're for me, but you're against me, and they pinned him to a cross. So what I want to say here is we need to keep Jesus central because what you treasure the most in a church is what is the last thing standing. What you treasure the most in a church is the last thing standing. For example, if we treasure a building, our church treasures the building above all. That building is going to be the last thing standing, but there's going to be no people in it because that's the treasure. If we treasure a personality above all, like I don't think there's anything wrong with a celebrity pastor if they're preaching the gospel and we celebrate them and they help the body of Christ. But I'm talking sinful celebrity pastors who make it all about them. If you praise a personality, the personality will last, the church will be ruined. How about money? If a church is all about money, I can't tell you how many dead churches there are that have hundreds of thousands, even millions in the bank. The money's still standing, and the people in the mission is far gone. All the churches you've seen die in your life that you went to died because something else became central to that church. We must fight to keep Jesus as everything in this church. That the gospel of grace that leads us to God's glory has to be central, not ourself. When it becomes about ourselves, we gossip, we divide, we want our needs, we become like spoiled children. We need to fight for the glory of Christ. Amen? We need to fight for the glory of Christ. That we might just be instruments of his glory, instruments of his praise. So I want to give us just a few hows here. Just a few hows here of how do we do that. One way is preaching a gospel of grace. Preaching a gospel of grace. What do you think is the most effective way for our hearts to change and our lives to change? What do you think, if you're going to say, what is the best thing I need to hear from my life and my heart to change? What would that be? Would it be do better? Would it be, I just told you last week not to do that. Would it be, take vitamin D, E, and F, you're going to make it. What would it be that is going to cause our hearts and our lives to change? We are convinced that Restoration Road, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only thing that changes the heart and the life of a man and a woman. And maybe in a different way that you even thought of in church. Maybe it's in a way where we're not telling you to do better. We're saying that Christ has done better. And when he becomes the most desirable thing in your life, your whole life and your whole heart will change. And let me 
just give you a, a kind of example of that. I, I think this is beautiful. Once again, by Michael Reeves. It's one of my favorite books of last year, 2018 reading list, was Delighting in the Trinity. If you can read that book this year, 120 pages, Delighting in the Trinity, uh, it's worth your investment. He put, we cannot choose what we love, but always love that which seems most desirable to us. Thus, we will only change what we love when something proves itself to be more desirable to us than what we already love. I will then always love sin in the world until I truly sense that Christ is better. Why do I share that? Because our preaching at Restoration Road to keep the gospel of grace central is always trying to make Christ the most desirable thing to you. To see his beauty and his power and his love. When you see the beauty and power and love of the gospel in Christ, it overwhelms your lesser loves and your darker loves and your lustful loves. It overwhelms them because it comes more desirable to you than sinful loves. Does that make sense, guys? So each message in our preaching at Restoration Road, we do our best and our aim to make Christ everything and the most desirable to, thing to you because when he becomes your greatest treasure and becomes our greatest treasure, all other things will fall away. It's so much more effective than saying just stop that because our hearts were made to worship and if we're not worshiping Jesus, we will find other idols to make everything. Money, job, career, pleasure, all those stuffs will be put in the factory of our hearts and can take the place of Christ. But when Christ is the most desirable, all those other things pale in comparison because he is a more desirable love. So that's our goal with preaching at Restoration Road. The gospel overwhelms our hearts. And when your heart changes, when our heart changes, our lives change. Our life, our mouths, our words Follow the treasures of our heart. And Jesus Christ has to be made everything. Secondly, in our singing, have you noticed it's all about Jesus? We want to talk about the blood of Christ, that that was shed for me and you. We want to talk about that he rose from the dead as eternal life for all who believe. We want to talk about how power, uh, powerful and glorious and wonderful the name of Jesus is. We want to sing these hopes until they fully saturate our hearts and we become overwhelmed with them and we really become a people restored by the gospel. Something else we do that might be different from many churches, not all churches, we take communion every week, right? We take communion every week. That puts the gospel before us. It's one of the greatest communal spiritual disciplines there is to take communion every week as a church family. What are we recognizing? That our sin put Jesus, the pure one, on the cross. We're recognizing in order for us to be saved from all the things we talked about, the son of God's life had to be given, his body had to be given, his blood had to be shed. It's reminding us each week that we don't get what we deserve. It's proclaiming the gospel of grace. Those are three ways. We don't have all day 
I can talk about, and when we get next week in the family and community, I will talk about more how we apply the gospel in those areas. But we're very intentional. Uh, intentional. That's a new word I just made up. We're very intentional about making the gospel of grace everything so it overwhelms our hearts so we are daily being restored by this gospel. And I'll give you just one more story in closing as we talk about the gospel being of greatest value. And I went back and forth um, thinking about sharing this because to be honest, you guys, believe it or not, um, I'm a very shy guy. So what does God do? He calls you to stand up in front of people so you throw up from 15 years, the first 15 years of preaching, you throw up every time you get to preach. That's what God does. Doesn't make you throw up, but you just get so stressed that happens. So some things it's hard for me to share because I'm shy. I'm private in many ways, believe it or not. And so, but I thought this story was very important uh, to share because it gets at the heart of what I want us to hear today. Because church cannot be about ourselves. If we become infatuated with ourselves, we will die. Or even worse, we will last long as a de dead corpse and waste a lot of good resources that can be used for the gospel. We need to make Jesus the object of our worship and central to that. So I read this book by Viktor Frankl called A Man's Search for Meaning. This was a Jewish man who was put in a concentration camp, and he's a psychologist. And he talks about his experience inside the concentration camp, how people acted under the worst possible circumstances. But then he gets released, and he does psychology for the rest of his life. And he deals with some of the worst and toughest psychological things people are going through. And what happens, there's this one woman who went through something horrible when she was a child, that as she got older, she was having trouble being physically intimate with her husband. And she tried so hard to do everything she could to get past that. She tried to focus on just getting past it on herself. She tried, tried to focus maybe on some of her needs when she was being physically intimate. But everything she tried, they call it hyperintentionality in psychology, everything she tried with focusing on herself to change that, it only got worse. She was never able to enjoy her husband, be physically intimate with her husband, and went through that battle. She went to Viktor Frankl and their team. And they coached her to take another approach. It's called paradoxical, paradoxical intentionality. Okay? They said, do this. What if you, when you wanted to be or were aiming to be physically intimate with your husband, what if you focused on his needs and you focused on his, I'm trying to talk PG here, his satisfaction and his enjoyment. What if you focused on him instead of focusing on what you were going through during that time? Within weeks to months, not only had she refocused that physical intimacy to thinking about her husband and he was enjoying their time together, but she became healed from her physical intimacy challenges and she began to enjoy her husband and enjoy the love they had together. Why do I share that story when it comes to keeping the gospel central? 
Because there's something important there when it comes to a church. There's something very important when it comes to a church. Because God made us to be beings that weren't all about ourselves, but actually put all our affections and praise and honor onto Jesus. We're wired like that. So when psychology is saying this helps and that helps, they're, they're, they're working with God's wiring, how we're made. They're working with God's wiring that the more we focus on ourselves, the worse it gets. But the more we think about others, and in the case of a church, the more we focus on Jesus and adoration of Jesus and lifting up Jesus and honoring Jesus and making about Jesus because of the gospel of grace, they actually more we will be joyful and happy. We must lose ourselves to find ourselves. Jesus said you must lose your life to find your life. As a church, keeping the gospel central, we must make it all about Jesus, and that's when we will see people restored by the gospel. Amen? So that's the heart and the most important thing at Restoration Road, that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is everything to us, who is our greatest treasure, that he lived a sinless life that we could not live, that he died an atoning death for our sins, that he was buried for three days, and that he rose again to offer eternal life to anyone who would believe so that we can be saved from all the things we talked about. And not only did he save us from things, he saved us onto the best things, to good works that he has prepared for us before the foundation of the world. He's called each one of us into good works together to work for the glory of God. Of God. It says in the Westminster Confession, the chief end of man and of woman is to glorify him and enjoy him forever. And that's kind of central to what we are doing here at Restoration Road. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your selflessness and giving yourself up on the cross for us. I pray, Lord, that we actually lose ourselves more and more, Lord. That you, like the Apostle Paul said, I died a long time ago. It's Christ that lives within me now. My dreams, my carnal desires, my will died a long time ago. Our will died a long time ago, Father. We want Christ. to dwell in us fully so that we live for your mission and your mission alone, Lord. There's so many things that we can get sidetracked on, Lord. We know our hearts, our needs, the way we like things. And we can forget it's all about your glory and making disciples, Lord. I I pray for Restoration Road, Lord. that we are a church that sees the need to get the gospel out of these four walls, Lord, and into our workplaces, into our families, into our towns, into our cities, that when we see people, we always see opportunities to see people brought from darkness into light. And we even see, Lord, that your desire that all men will be saved. You tell us that in the scriptures. I pray that we would live this gospel, that we would love this gospel, 
that Jesus would be the last thing standing here, Lord, at all times, central to all we do. Please hear our prayer. Amen.